0: Good morning, Mountain Park. How's everybody doing today? It's nice to see you. Thanks for being here. My name is Jan. I'm one of the pastors here. And hey, thanks to our band. Thanks for reminding us that we have a God who loves us enough to chase after us. So, thank you. And he chases us with abandon, that he, he came and he died for us and he kicks down walls for us. So I just want to warn you today. Um, some of you uh, have maybe been to a place called SeaWorld, and at SeaWorld, they have this thing called the Splash Zone, right? And then the Splash Zone, like the whale jumps or the dolphins in the water splashes. Well, today at Mountain Park, we have the Nerf Zone. Okay, so I just want to warn you, any of you sitting in, you know, the first few rows here, we may be testing your reflexes today. And, I, and I'm, I'm wondering, as you look at me up here with this gun, I if you've ever been in a situation where you're having a conversation with someone, and all of a sudden you look at their, in their eyes, and although they're not holding anything, it's like they're not really listening anymore as much as they are taking aim. Has that ever happened to you? That in, instead of feeling like the other person is carefully considering the words that you're saying, that they're loading the next bullet to fire away. Or does that describe you sometimes? Doesn't it feel a little bit like today, nowadays, in our, in our society, in our culture, that we're all kind of, it just feels like we're all walking around with loaded guns the weapons that are loaded with, with our political opinions, with our personal experience, with our hurts, our fears, our resentment, our bitterness, our insecurities. And, and it's hard to have conversations, especially conflicting conversations, without it ending up in a battle of some kind. So we get and we go into, you go into the public sphere, you look on social media and the public media and you, you listen to these conversations and somebody mentions something, you know, like Donald Trump, bam! Right? Or someone brings up Colin Kaepernick, bam. Immigration, bam. All right? But it, it's, it's, it's not just political public conversations. If we're honest, this happens in our own private homes, doesn't it? We're in a conversation with our spouse, everything's going fine, and then all of a sudden we start talking about finances, bam. Or physical intimacy, bam. Right? And before we know it, we've completely derailed. And now we're busy shooting at each other, shooting darts at each other, and we have no idea how we got to where we are. We're in this series, About relationships called From This Day Forward. And I'm really excited about this series because God loves us to be in relationship. God cares deeply about our relationships. They're hugely important to Him. You can see that when you read the Bible because the Bible, in a lot of ways, is a book about relationships, our relationship with God and all the relationship with each other. You can see relationships in the Bible that are marriages and co workers and siblings and parent child, all kinds of relationships are right there in the Bible. And as you read, you can see what kind of relationships God intends for us. You can see that God intends us to have thriving, healthy, joyful, life-giving relationships. That's why over and over again, the Bible tells us to love each other. From the very beginning in the Old Testament, when, when God says to the Israelites, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And then when Jesus comes in in John 13, 34, he says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all else, love each other deeply, that God's design is for us to have loving, deep relationships. And yet the reality that we see both in the Bible and in our life is is that we struggle to have these relationships. That as humankind, we struggle to experience the loving relationships that God desires. We struggle to experience it in our marriages. We struggle to experience it in our relationship with our parents or with our kids, with our coworkers, with our boss. And really, if you look at society at large, you see that often we as a society struggle to have relationships with people of the opposite gender or people of different races than us and we're struggling to manage these relationships and I think a big reason is because of this that we enter into conversations and end up in combat stations and instead of of having a healthy exchange of ideas and feelings that result in unity and mutual understanding we end up exchanging verbal bullets that divide and wound and hurt And if our communication is a combat zone, then our relationships are a combat zone. And somewhere along the way, there's going to be casualties. And now some of us, we're used to this. Sometimes, whether it's because of our family of origin or whatever the case may be, we are so used to relationships and communication operating this way that we can't turn it off. That that even when there's nothing offensive, we still get defensive. Even when nobody intends it, we feel like there's a full frontal assault. A simple question becomes an accusation. My wife and I have this recurring experience that's much better now that we've been married for 15 years, but it's taken a lot of time. And this recurring experience looks like this. We drive somewhere, and I drive, and we have five kids. And so when we get somewhere, we have to get all those five kids safely from the car across the most dangerous place there is in the world, a parking lot, to the restaurant that we're going to, or the toy store, whatever else, right? So I get out of the car, and I get, uh, you know, three, two, three, four of our kids, whatever, and I get this stuff, and I come, and I don't want them in the parking lot, so I bring them onto the sidewalk to the door, while my wife is still getting her stuff out of the car. And my wife's getting her things out of the car, and she's getting maybe one or two of the other kids, and she shuts the door, and she looks at me, and she says, did you lock the car door? And what I hear is, you stupid idiot. Don't you know you're supposed to lock the door? Don't you know? You are such a failure as a husband. I've asked you this every time we've left the car. And you still aren't doing it. And suddenly, somehow, a simple conversation about the state of a locked door becomes a referendum on my fitness as a dad and as a husband. Has that ever happened to you? You ever get defensive, even when there's nothing to be defensive about? Let me turn my page. Now, this is not what God has for us. And it doesn't have to be this way. We call this series From This Day Forward because we want to be a church that says, from this day forward, we're gonna do things differently. That just like a man and a woman stand at an altar and say, from this day forward, I'm gonna love you differently, I'm gonna cherish you, that we as a church can say, from this day forward, we are gonna communicate and conduct ourselves in relationships in a way that represents the love and truth and grace of Jesus the same way he loves us, that we love other people. How do we do that? How do we communicate in this climate? How do we as believers communicate and relate in a culture that is both overly sensitive and overtly offensive? How do we demonstrate love and grace in our conversations with our spouse, with, with those who make choices that we find ridiculous, with those who insult us, those who think we're idiots? How do we navigate those relationships in a way that honor the Lord? Now, this, this question is not a new question. This has been, people have been dealing with this question for as long as humans had words, okay? There was a guy in the Bible named James who, who wrote a book of the Bible we're going to look at. You can turn your Bible to James if you have it with you. And he was deeply concerned about this. He was deeply concerned. He wrote actually a couple different places in his letter about this idea of communication. He was concerned with how believers were talking and listening and how that might impact their relationship with God, their relationship with others, and other people's relationship with God. Now, the things that James says about that we're going to look at today in James chapter 1, a lot of them are not, they're not earth-shattering. They're not, they're not ground-shaking new things you've never heard of. They're not deep mysteries. It's not trying to explain the Trinity, okay? It's not uh, the tetragrammaton or the kenosis of Jesus. And if you don't know what those things are, that's okay. okay. This is but very simple, very practical reality life. And this is what I love about the Bible, Okay? The Bible isn't just a book about theology, it's a book that focuses in on how we practically live out the love and truth of Jesus. So if you open your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 19, uh, but I want to start by praying. Well, Lord, we take a moment here to, to stop and say, God, we want you to speak. We want you to speak through your word. We want you to speak through your Holy Spirit. And we surrender our ears and our hearts and our mind to you. We ask that you lead and you guide. Lord, that you open us up maybe to something that we've been protecting, that we've been holding back. You would unlock it today, Lord. And help us move forward in your love and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of James, James is is writing to... um, believers who've been scattered all over. And the first part of the book of James, actually a lot of part of the book of James, is very practical and people will compare it to Proverbs because it's it's these bite-sized pieces of truth about various topics. And and James isn't so much trying to weave together a comprehensive theology as he's given us these little pictures uh, of how to live out our faith. And because they're practical, it's easy for us to look at some of these sayings and some of the things we're looking at today and say, oh that is so deep. I'm gonna put that on my wall. And it's gonna stay on my wall. And I'm never actually gonna implement it. But man, it's meaningful. Okay? It's important to know that, that that James isn't just writing script words for people to hang on their wall. He's writing to people, he calls them my dear brothers. We'll get to that. He's friend to people who are Christians, people who are believers are saying, This is what it means to follow Jesus. And so there in in verse 19, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, and and that my dear brothers is not just a polite thing. That word for dear is beloved. He's saying, I care about you. Before I go into this next part, I want you to know I care about you. And he says, take note of this. Now, when I hear take note of this, I think of myself in biology class in uh, college, trying to remember the difference between meiosis and mitosis, which I don't remember. But when the, the... Professor said it, I wrote it down, I took note of it, and I've never looked at that note ever since, right? That we, this idea of taking note can feel like a suggestion or something you file away. That's not what, what he's saying here. That word that's translated take note is the word oida, and it means to know, to understand, to realize as true. And so he's saying, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I love you, I care about you, and I want you to embrace this as a reality in your life you need to know this. And it's the only time in that book that James uses this phrase. I want you to know this. And he goes on, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. Now, what James is doing is he's about to outline the golden rule of communication. Okay? Okay. Now, again, this is not necessarily something new you've never heard of, but if you apply it, if you actually apply it to your relationships, you'll be surprised what God does. And part one of that golden rule is be quick to listen. Now, you can go to seminars for weeks and months about what it means to listen, you can go to counseling sessions. You can read books. I could stand up here and talk for hours and hours about how to actively listen and what it means and all of those things. We could parse the Greek word and say, what does the Greek word for listen mean and cross reference and everything else? But, but I think simply for me, the essence of listening is that to listen is to enter into someone else's experience so that we can love them better. That to listen is to enter into someone else's experience, into their perspective, so that we can love them better. That listening is not just about hearing words. It's about entering into something so that we can love because you can't love someone unless you know them. That's what makes God so great at loving people, that he knows us. He knows our deepest hurts, our deepest wounds. He knows at any given moment when we need a swift kick in the rear, When we need a hand up, when we need a hug, he knows we need encouragement. When we need conviction, he sees right in and he can address it. Now, unless you all are omniscient like God, the only way we get that kind of knowledge about other people is by listening. And when people communicate, they're communicating three things that allow us to enter into their experience. One is information. They're communicating basic information about maybe something that happened to them, about where they're from, about something they're experiencing right then, basic information. I have a headache, I grew up in Mississippi, basic information. But then they're also communicating a feeling Okay? So they communicate information. They also communicate a feeling. I have a headache. That communicates uh, 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 an actual fact, information, that they have a headache, but it also communicates a feeling, a physical feeling of pain. And if I'm listening, then I have a chance to enter in and say, oh, I get that. I know what that's like. They, they hurt. And then the three, they communicate desires. Okay? I have a headache. I, 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 information. I have, a he- I have pain in my head. Uh, feeling. There's, I feel this pain and desire. Even though they don't overtly say it, you can bet they're saying it because they want that pain to go away. Right? When your spouse comes home and says, oh, my back's really sore. I just got, I got these knots. They're secretly saying what? Rub my back. <laughs> right? Right? So every time someone communicates, they're communicating information, emotions, feelings, and desires, and they allow us to enter in to that person's perspective when we really listen to those things. True, that's true of big conversations. It's also true of those daily. You'd be surprised how much is going on in just those simple conversations. Now, when we take time to listen to the information, when we take time to listen to their feelings, we take time to listen to their desires, what they want, what's important to them, we're going to grow in our understanding of them, but It doesn't mean we have to agree with them. See, the verse says, quick to listen, not quick to agree. And that's really significant. We can listen to someone, we can listen to all their facts, all their experiences, we can listen to their pain, their sorrows, we can listen to their desires, and we can still disagree with them on a particular issue. We can still disagree with their choices, we can still disagree with with their positions on things, but what we can't do is use that disagreement as a reason to dismiss them. Use that disagreement as a reason not to listen to them, not to consider how they feel, not to consider why they have the position or have made the decisions that they have. Because even if you disagree with them, listening to them will help you love them better. Now, listening is a skill. Unfortunately, we are not typically born good listeners. I know this because I have five kids. And when we sit it at the dinner table, it's a battle between to see, who, between to see? It's a battle to see who speaks first. But that doesn't really matter because whoever's speaking, someone else is going to speak over them anyways. And so we actually instituted in our family listening practice time, where we sit as a family after dinner, and this is what we to do all the time, but we say, okay, listening practice time, and all my kids go, Aah. And everybody knows that one person is going to talk and everybody else is going to look at that person. And then they're going to listen to that person. And then when that person is done talking, they're going to have to ask a question about something that person said. Because listening does not happen naturally. It's a skill. We have to practice. We have to learn it. Now you notice that James says we have to be quick to listen. There's a difference between things that we do and things that we are quick to do isn't there. I did homework in college. I was not quick to do homework in college. Okay, what are the things in your life that you're quick to do? Quick to, you hear a, your favorite band's coming to town, so you go online and you make sure you're quick to get those tickets. Or, or your favorite sports team is coming down, you're quick to get those tickets. Or you're, you're quick to get to the television to watch the game. I am quick to buy my wife GR Deli Double Chocolate Brownie Mix. That if I go to the store, I know that is an opportunity for me to buy that brownie mix, and I jump at it every time. Why? Because it's a priority for me. We are quick to do things that are a priority for us. That's what James is saying, that listening should be a priority, that entering into someone else's experience should be a priority. That entering into someone else's experience so that we can love them better should be a priority for us. So much so that we jump at the opportunity, even if we're on our phone, that when that opportunity arises, we put our phone down. That even if we're working on a really important project, that, we're, that when that opportunity comes, we are ready to jump at that opportunity. That when someone says something that we find offensive, we don't assume that they're an idiot. We take it as an opportunity to listen, to enter into their experience so we can love them better. When someone is sharing an insight they've learned that maybe you've heard before, it's an opportunity to listen. When someone shares criticisms with you, whether they're constructive or deconstructive, That it's an opportunity to listen. To enter into their experience so that you can love them better. Because every opportunity where someone is talking to you is an opportunity to learn how to love them better. And it requires effort. But as followers of Jesus, we should be awesome listeners. We should be the best listeners on this earth. So when you came in, you got these little darts, right? And you've been wondering, what do I do with your little dart? You also got a little piece of paper when you came in. Hold on to the darts. We're going to use them later. But your piece of paper on the back, it has a one, two, and three. And so we want to get very practical about this. Underneath number one, I want you to write how you can apply this. Write the name of someone you need to be quick to listen to. That's, that's part one of the golden rule, to be quick to listen, to prioritize opportunities, to enter into someone else's experience, to love them better. So write the name of someone you need to be quick to listen to on your paper. Now James goes on, he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Why? Because words matter. Because the quality of our communication directly and significantly impacts the quality of our relationships. And I mean that in a very, very immediate sense. The, the state of your relationship, the state of any given relationship that you have with someone right now has a lot to do with the last thing you said to them. Earlier this week I was having a conversation with my wife. I asked her if she would do something for me. She asked me a couple questions, and then she looked at me and she said, Why would I do that? And I said, because you don't want to be a selfish, greedy, stingy person. You want to be gracious and loving. My communication had an immediate effect on my relationship. <laughs> right? Our communication rise and fall on the words we speak to each other, and sometimes the first thing that comes to mind is not the best thing to say. Right? Right? Think about that. How often is the first thing you say the exact best thing to say in that situation? We have to be slow to speak so we can listen. We can't listen when we're talking. In fact, while we're thinking about talking, we can't listen, okay? So when we're thinking about loading our guns or how we respond, we've stopped listening. So we have to give up interrupting, Just give it up altogether. Now, I know some of you are like, what? Because some of you grew up in places where interrupting was like the only way to talk, right? And this interrupting is just a normal phase of life. But I'm telling you, we have to learn how to just be quiet and let someone speak and speak and speak until they're done. And even then, be willing to understand that maybe we've misinterpreted something that they've said and and, and that maybe the things, all the things that I've thought of, I don't need to say right now that before I really need to say them, I can make sure I understand. So part of being slow to speak is asking good questions, making sure we really know what someone is saying. Okay. So I want to give you three very practical questions you can ask to be slow to speak. Number one, what I hear you saying is, dot, 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 is that accurate? Okay, basic question. I hear you saying this, is that accurate? Did I mishear you? Number two, how do you feel about that? Because sometimes people have a whole wealth, a whole pool, a whole reservoir of stuff that they haven't expressed to you yet. And simply saying, how do you feel about that helps you enter into their experience. And then, how can I help? See, these questions, they help you enter into their experience. You say, uh, what I hear you saying, is that accurate? You're clarifying information. Did I get all of the information about this that I needed to know? When you say, how do I feel? You're understanding their feelings. How do they feel about this? And then when you're asking, hey, how can I help? You're giving them a chance to express their desires. So even if they don't naturally communicate all those things, you can find those things out. You can get enough clarity to know how to respond. And once you choose to respond, now you can pick your words carefully, because the Bible has some pretty clear ideas and guidelines about what we should and shouldn't say. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So slow to speak means I say, Is this wholesome? Is it good? Is it helpful? Is it going to build them up according to their needs, not my preferences or my desires? Does it benefit those who listen? Now, let me just be really clear. This is not an excuse not to talk, okay? So you can't say, well, I can't think of anything nice to say, so I'm just going to be quiet and not say how I feel at all. I'm just not going to talk to my spouse at all, okay? Okay, what this means is that you do the hard work, being slow to speak because it takes time, to think through, to find the right words, okay? But don't use use slow to speak as an excuse not to communicate at all. Part two of the golden rule of communication, be slow to speak, stop interrupting, seek to understand before you seek to be understood so you can say something that's worth listening to. So number two on your card there, number two. Who is someone that you are quick to talk to? Because let me point something out real quick. You notice it says, be slow to speak, not just be slow to respond to others. And so this applies not only in our response and conversations, but in initiating conversations. When we post something online. When we want to go talk to a coworker about something our boss said. That when we initiate conversations, we are actually thinking Is this kind, is this true, is this helpful? So, who is someone that you are maybe too quick to talk to? Someone you interrupt frequently. Someone that you run to to share gossip. Write that down as a reminder to be slow to speak. And James goes on, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, when we hear become angry, the picture I get is the Incredible Hulk. You guys ever seen the Incredible Hulk, right? He's just this normal scientist, doctor, nice guy, and then all of a sudden he gets really angry and raw and entire cities are leveled, right? Like we imagine it's just this totally irrational anger. But, but, but the word here, the Greek word orge, is different than that. And it's not just the act of becoming angry. When, 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 when James uses this word, it is both the feeling and the expression of that anger. And, and the connotation is not just an irrational art, outburst, but a rational, thought out expression of anger. So, that what that means is it's you said this, it made me angry, so now I can do this. See, I think that most of us will agree that someone just flying off the handle for no good reason is, is not helpful. But we often think that when our anger is justified, we have the right to express it however we want. And part of what James is saying is be slow to anger even when you have good cause. Even when you have good cause, be slow to express that anger. Be slow to go through that process of, Here's what you said that makes me angry. Now I'm going to express it. Be slow to go through that process. Why? Because, verse 20, human anger, anger that is rooted in our own desires, our own frustrations, our own, when we don't get what, I want, what we want, our own hurt, our own desire to hurt back, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. A reminder once again that this is not just about advice and not just being good listeners. This is about how we express our faith in God to those around us. Now, when we see righteousness, it's easy to think of righteousness as sort of this, this state between me and God as a purely personal, vertical relationship that if I'm, when, when it says uh, righteousness, what that saying is when I, when, I, uh, when I become angry, I am no longer righteous before God or morally upright before God. But that is not the entire meaning of the word. The word is seone, and it actually is the root word dike is justice. It's justice. And while justice may have something to do with our moral standing before God, it's primarily about how we treat other people. Especially when the Bible talks about justice, when the Bible talks about justice, it talks about things like not cheating people, not lying to them. It talks about caring for the fatherless and the widows, it talks about taking advantage of, the pe- of people. And what James is saying is human anger, anger rooted in our own desires, does not bring about a just society does not bring about a society where we love our neighbors as much as ourselves and put their interest above ours. That selfish anger does bring about things, but it's not a just society. Selfish anger brings about more anger, more hurt, more wounds. And I'm just curious, how many times in your life, after you've been really quick to anger, have you said, yes, that was the right thing to do? He said, yeah, I'm so glad I got so angry because I was so loving afterwards. I'm so glad I got angry because now that person knows how much they mean to me. It doesn't work that way. Our anger does not cause us to love well. It does not bring about the kind of relationships God wants us to have. That's why the third part of the golden rule of communication is be slow to anger because anger is a relationship killer. So on your number three, Write down the name of someone you are quick to get angry with. Who is someone you are quick to get angry with? Now, if we're honest, we understand that this pattern, slow to speak, sorry, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for most of us, it works in the reverse, right? Most of us, it's quick to become angry, quick to speak, slow to listen, okay? Why is that? Because of what's inside of us. Okay, we know that inside of us there's these things that cause us to act that way. Okay, now when you have, a, if you squeeze a ketchup bottle, what do you get out of it? Ketchup, right? In Matthew 15, 18 to 19, Jesus says, The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False testimony, slander, the things that come out of our mouth reflect our hearts. So if we ask, how do we clean up our words? We have to ask, how do we clean up our hearts? How do we manage what's inside of here? And, and, and so then we read on, James gives us a clue in verse 21. Therefore get, rid, therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you. If you want to drive out the insecurities, the shame, the fear, the hurts that are in your heart, you start by accepting the word of God into your life. By accepting who he is and who you are in him and allowing those things to press out all of the things that are not true. All of the shame, all of the hurt. And so we're going to take some time to do this now. The band's going to come out in a minute. They're going to come out. Go ahead and come out, band. They're going to play a song. And while they're playing a song, I want to bring up some scriptures. They're just going to be rolling up there. They're going to be singing, and it's a great song about God speaking to us. But when they start playing, that is your cue to not leave all of you people who are early leavers and leave whenever the music starts, okay? That is your cue to stay here and look at those scriptures, okay? And allow God to speak to you. Allow Him to speak into your heart. And and accept the word that God is speaking to you. Take it to heart. And then, when we're done with that, I'm going to come back up and we're going to do one more thing with your darts.